Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody? You are listening to another episode of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. And if you enjoyed our first episode, I hope you enjoyed this one. Please like and subscribe and comment. Let us know what you think about the show, what we could be doing better. I'm very excited about today's episode. I got the opportunity to catch up with Tori McElhaney, who covers the Atlanta Falcons for The Athletic. She does an incredible job. I was lucky enough to get to know her a little bit during my time with the Falcons. Uh, and we had a great conversation just about her thoughts on what the Falcons could do in the draft, uh, where they might go at four, and then also just how they fleshed out the roster and free agency and how that might affect some of uh, the way they approach the draft as well. But before we get to that conversation, this will be the last podcast uh, that comes out before the NFL draft on Thursday night and the Falcons having the number four pick are obviously in a huge spot, not only for how the whole draft will play out, but for the future of their franchise. So I thought kind of off the jump uh, that I would share my thoughts, my kind of final predictions for what Atlanta would do at four. And then we'll go over to my conversation with Tori that was really informative and enlightening from somebody who continues to talk with Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, you know, fairly frequently. Uh, but first, so at four, I've now come around to my belief that the Falcons need to take a quarterback. And if Justin Fields is on the board, he's going to be my pick at four. I just think the position is too important to kind of leave to not chance necessarily, but to pass up this type of opportunity. It's just, you know, regardless of these quarterbacks and what you think of each of these individual prospects. It's just something that doesn't come along too often in this league where you land in a situation to really kind of set yourself up to move on as a franchise. Once you have to move on from a franchise quarterback, you know, I think back to the Colts kind of got this, you know, really, you know, not say they luck out with Andrew Luck, but Obviously, Peyton Manning has the neck injury. They don't really know how his career is going to play out. At that point, he's already a Hall of Famer. He does go on to win another Super Bowl. But it just so happens that they land the number one pick in a draft that has another generational type of quarterback in the class in Andrew Luck. And before Andrew Luck retired, that was a no-brain great pick by the Colts, and, and he was a franchise quarterback for them. That's not the exact scenario here. I guess the true comparison would be if the Falcons could draft Trevor Lawrence. But... It's similar enough where I think it it applies. And regardless of how long this player might have to sit behind Matt Ryan, that should be looked at as a luxury, not necessarily a, a bad thing. And I think most people are looking at it as a luxury, but they are also the conversation is that, you know, you don't want to waste a couple of years of a cheap rookie quarterback on, you know, a really valuable rookie deal. But I think that that argument gets blown out of proportion a little bit too much. You know, it's it's increasingly less likely that a full career plays out in one location. You know, Philip Rivers probably didn't think he was going to retire as a, as a Colt, um, but he did. So if Matt Ryan goes on somewhere else, I mean, that's not the end of the world. 
It just means now you've got a great plan in place. And if you keep Matt Ryan, that means that he's probably playing really well and you're happy to have him around and you still have that plan in place. So I just think that the quarterback position is the most important position in all of sports. And it would be foolish to not have that true succession plan for whenever you need to use it. You know, I'm sure Green Bay is still happy to have Jordan Love in-house, even though Aaron Rodgers just won the MVP. And furthermore, that value will remain in place with that quarterback. Josh Rosen played pretty much all of his rookie year and was not good. And the Cardinals were still able to get a second round pick from Miami for him. If you don't play this quarterback, but you get to watch them in practice for a full season, get to compare them directly with a former league MVP, and you decide, "Eh, we're just not sure that this guy can really cut it to the level that we thought he could, you're still probably going to get at least a second round pick for them. And maybe a first, you know, would if Pittsburgh has another great year, would they trade you a bottom of the first round pick for, for a quarterback that was taken at number four? They might, you know, it's at least in the discussion. So even if you whiff on this pick, there's value inherently there. And I don't think the Falcons are going to whiff on this pick. I just think that to not to leave it up to chance, because this isn't a team that should be drafting in the top 10 too frequently moving forward, but you're there now. This draft is very strong at the quarterback position. It kind of all works out perfectly. You don't have to trade anything to move up. Sure, you don't need a player right now at the quarterback position, but you hope to never need a quarterback. That is the worst place to be in sports, is needing a quarterback and not knowing what the plan is there. It's kind of held back teams like the Colts. It's held back teams like San Francisco who made the trade up to get a quarterback, assuming that they take a quarterback at three. I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't, but that's kind of the other part of this argument. This offseason, we're seeing guys like Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay tell us how important this quarterback position is. And I don't think that's breaking news to anybody, but these guys were always talked about as offensive geniuses who could make every, who could make quarterbacks better with their scheme. And now they may be admitting a little bit to everybody You need talent at that position as well. It's why the Rams traded for Matthew Stafford, who is inarguably a more talented quarterback than Jared Goff. And it's why the 49ers, you know, are have made the trade up and are probably going to take another quarterback and move forward with them. And so, yes, scheme matters. But at the end of the day, you need to have a dynamic player at the position, I think, to have success in today's NFL. And all of these guys, with the exception of Mac Jones, are dynamic types of quarterbacks. You look at a guy like Justin Fields or or Trey Lance or even Zach Wilson, they can make plays off script out of schedule and can run, can move. And you're seeing teams that are now allowing quarterbacks to kind of play outside of the framework of their scheme. There are schemes that really boost quarterback play. And I believe Arthur Smith's scheme is going to be like that. But you're also seeing teams now get more creative with how they use their quarterbacks as a weapon within the offense and not just the facilitator of an offense. And I think that the quarterbacks at the top of this draft can absolutely do that. I think it would make sense for Atlanta to grab somebody, continue to groom them for a year or two. And that's fine with me. If it's two years, you've got five years of a rookie contract. That's still valuable and just see what happens. And I wouldn't pass up this opportunity. I'm not a huge fan in this draft of trading back unless they get a a great amount of picks for them, but you've got to hit on those picks. And I, I just like the notion of adding an elite player, even if it's not a quarterback, you know, if it, it, it sucks that it's not a good defensive draft, because obviously that's where the Falcons biggest needs are, but go ahead and add just a great, even if it's, you know, one of these tackles, 
I just find there's value in having depth, even if it's on the offensive side of the ball where you're already loaded. Just accumulate as much great talent as you can and then figure it out. And the best part is I think that's going to be Atlanta's draft strategy. That's what Terry Fontenot has previously said. Just you add pure talent in the draft. You fill your needs through free agency with proven veteran players who you know what they look like in the NFL. But the draft is all about just accumulating the best stockpile of talent possible. Falcons are in great shape to do that. And here's the thing. No matter what they do on draft night, we should all be excited. I mean, if if the worst case scenario in your mind is, man, they're going to draft Kyle Pitts. Cool. You added a generational type of talent at the tight end position. Good for you. Congratulations. Be excited about that. If they draft a quarterback, I mean, that's obviously exciting in its own right, even if you have to wait a couple of years for that to really uh, materialize on the field. And if they trade back, nobody's lost a trade back until they actually have to make those picks. So there's probably going to be a 30, 45 minute to two hour window where everybody's just kind of like, look at all these cool picks we got, you know, look at, look at this amount of picks where we now have two first rounders next year. And now we've, you know, added a third rounder for this year. And you just start to think, but then those picks need to be made and they need to make the right picks for that method to be very uh, effective. But regardless, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. The draft is one of my favorite weekends of the year. And now that I'm on the outside of it again, I don't have to stay up until 4 a.m. on the night of the first round uh, writing content for everybody. Um, I believe I'm going to be hopping on the Falcoholic live podcast. They're going to do kind of a live stream throughout the first round. So I'll be on there with with all the great people who write, love, talk about the Falcons. Um, But now let's get to my conversation with somebody else who, you know, writes about the Falcons, does an incredible job. My conversation with Tori about this year's NFL draft. And I'm joined now by Tori McElhaney, a writer at The Athletic who covers the Falcons and does an incredible job. Uh, Tori, how are you doing? Thank you so much for coming on here today. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm excited for the draft. Uh, As we record this, it is exactly one week away. Um, The first round will be kicking off uh, in seven days and about seven hours and the Falcons will have a big decision to make. Um, And I know in one of your recent articles, you kind of went and looked back at Mickey Loomis's track record, uh, the Saints GM who was pretty much the mentor figure in Terry Fontenot's life. And the reason that this draft, you know, for so many reasons, it's compelling for the Falcons, but way up there is because there's a new regime in place and we just don't have a track record with knowing how these guys are going to operate uh, come draft night. So what did you learn about, you know, maybe what we can expect from Terry Fontenot based on the past that he has with Mickey Loomis? Yeah, I I think that's a great question. It was something that I was super intrigued by. That's why I wrote the story is because I was like, okay, we have absolutely no precedent for what Terry Fontenot, Arthur Smith, any of these decision makers are going to make come, you know, draft day. And so I was like, okay, it, it, where can I draw from? And I was like, what, what are some, what are some places that I could actually like look into and be like, all right, here's a good idea for what the Falcons may do, but still don't a hundred percent know. And, and that's where I settled on looking at what Mickey Loomis did in the last, I kind of looked at the last like 10 years, but really honed in on the, the last like five years. And I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me was how, uh, Mickey Loomis really stuck with uh, Drew Brees. That, that, that to me was, he, he had so much loyalty to Drew Brees. And, and I think even with salary cap issues, 
even knowing that he's an aging quarterback, he never drafted his successor. He never went into the draft being like, okay, like we only have Drew Brees on contract for the next couple of years. He could retire in the next couple of years. Never went into it, never really like drafted based on what they needed to do in the post Drew Brees era, which is now what they're in. And I thought that was really interesting. And granted, the the two circumstances are very different. Mickey Loomis has a, a, a much more he has more loyalty to Drew Brees than Terry Fontenot has to, to Matt Ryan, obviously. Uh, but I did think that that to me was like one of the most interesting things. And then also taking a look back, I think it was the 2000, can't remember 2014 or 2016 saints draft where they just like ran the board and, and hit on like four guys that ended up, I mean, you look at like Trey Hendrickson who they took, I think in like late third round, maybe even fourth round. I'm trying to remember all of these, all of these names and everything are just jumbled up in my head. But you look at a guy like that, who just signed a really, really great deal this off season and and who did an amazing job for himself in 2020. And it's like, those are the type of people that Terry Fontenot now needs to grab with Atlanta. And I think those were the two main points that I really clung to when I was looking at, okay, what 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 does Mickey Loomis provide us when looking at okay what Terry Fontenot could? Yeah, I mean, anytime you're hitting kind of Ryan Ramchick, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Alvin Kamara, Trey Hendrickson, like that entire that draft is one of the all time great uh, classes. But I, when I read that piece, I, it made me I had a couple of thoughts, um, you know, specifically about the quarterback situation. One of which you brought up is the Saints were never in a situation like the Falcons are right now, you know, drafting in the top five. Um, and Terry Fontenot is going to be very well aware of how rare this opportunity really is. Um, but it's interesting because Terry's background is more on the pro personnel side. And that is how the saints kind of addressed their quarterback situation late in Drew Brees's career. You know, it was going to get Taysom Hill and then bring in Jameis and Teddy Bridgewater and these kind of free agent additions. So it just made me think, you know, maybe is, is Terry more comfortable getting a successor, you know, maybe then Mickey would have, or that was just a responsibility that kind of went to him. Right. Um, and yeah. then the and second I, well, to, to bump off, yeah. to jump off of that, but like to, to think about, okay, if that's the case, if that's what Terry wants to do, because, you know, we hear all the time that Arthur Smith really likes Matt Ryan. Right. So if they're going into this draft and being like, you know, we really like Matt Ryan. Like, why don't we wait a year, wait, wait until we can get into a situation where financially things are looking better and they can kind of look at, okay, who's going to be on the market in 2022, 2023 Mm -hmm. that you could grab someone in free agency or a trade or, or anything like that. And so I think that's a really good point because it's like, okay, how, how much are they actually weighing having that number four pick and taking a quarterback versus what they could potentially have down the road in free agency. I just don't want them to be in a situation that the Colts are kind of in right now. Mm-hmm. Cause I think they've got one of the best rosters in the NFL, but they just haven't been able to really hit that quarterback position. And they've, you know, they're throwing a bunch of different things kind of against the wall to, to see what will stick. But the, the second thought that I had with your piece is, is there a chance that Terry kind of saw how things played out in new Orleans? Because again, Saints had one of the best rosters in all of football, and it kind of turned out that the quarterback late in in his run maybe held them back a little bit. And Drew Brees is one of my favorite players of all time, but it, you wonder if take that roster and put a 
you know, a young quarterback at kind of hitting their prime at the right time. And that window could be huge. So I just wonder if, if Terry maybe learned a lesson there saying, Hey, have a plan for the future, because when it, when it comes, you know, you need a plan in place. Yeah. And I think like, just like me personally, when I'm thinking about, I I tend to think about the future anyways, you know, you, you always want to try and think like two moves ahead. I mean, I, I don't play chess or anything like that, but that's always what they tell you. And, and so I think like, when you think about it that way, it's like, it makes sense to, to grab somebody now who you could potentially groom into what Arthur Smith wants at the quarterback position. So yeah, but I don't know. Again, <laughs> it, it makes sense, but like come draft day, we might get something completely off the wall. I, that's that's how much I don't know what the Falcons are going to do right now. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping it is completely off the wall and and they're playing this perfectly. I mean, oh, it, yeah. it seems like everything is on the table and that's exactly how it should be. You want to get the biggest trade package possible. You want everybody to think that you could take the guy that they love. Mm-hmm. And Falcons are doing that uh, incredibly well, but we'll we'll come back to the draft in a second. I want to pivot real quick to free agency because that is the thing that Terry Fano told us. You know, he believes in patching the holes on the roster with proven commodities through free agency. You know, you don't want to throw um, roll the dice in the draft for the biggest need on your roster because you you don't necessarily have the best way to project how fully that hole will be fixed because it, the draft is projection. And so you may take a stab at it and that player doesn't pan out or turn into who you thought he would be. Just go get the proven guy. And that is a really, I think, effective strategy, but they've been limited in their ability to do that, obviously, financially. So I looked at, at your piece kind of a week ago and you know now that's even a little bit uh, outdated, for lack know, of a better yeah. word, um, after, after the moves uh, this week. Um, which I love. I mean, Corderell Patterson and then Deron Harmon, I think are two huge, huge additions. Where do you think the Falcon, you know, do you think that they achieve their goal heading into free agency? And, you know, is there any similarity with the types of guys that they brought in this off season? Yes. So when I was looking at this off season, going into it, right when Terry Vaughn, no, right when Arthur Smith got hired and, and you're going into February and you know, the league year's coming around in March. I was like, okay, what's the salary cap situation and how in the world are they going to get under it when the league year starts? And, and the only way that I could see them getting even to this point where the draft is a week away and granted they still don't have money, but you know, <laughs> they'll, they'll figure it out. They'll get it. But when I was looking, I was like, the only way to, to fill this roster is to hit on these mid-level veteran free agents that you can get on a one-year deal for about a million dollars like or less and that was what I was literally sitting there in February and I was like they have to do this this is the only way that I see them being able to build a team in 2021 and that's exactly what Terry Fontenot did and in one of our first press conferences with him he literally said he was like we've got to be scouts we've Mm got to find the value picks we've got to find these guys who can come in and fill the needs and that's that's exactly what what we've seen him do because he's getting guys who are like 29, 30 yeah. who have experience. And you think about also the salary cap's going to go up next year. So there are some of these guys who are going to want these one year deals. I honestly think this ended up working out really well for the Falcons. It really did, didn't it? Yeah. It did. It yes, did. because you have you literally have these 
these veteran guys who are like, all right, I know the cap's going up like next year. If I can go out in one year in 2021 and put on a show, I'm going to get more, I'm going to put myself in a better position in 2022 because teams will have more money. So I think that's really important. Yeah. And I want to kind of piggyback right off of that point, because have you learned why these guys decided to spend that one year in Atlanta? (laughs) So that's a great question. And I think the answer to that is actually really interesting. And it's actually one that I think gives a lot of the fan base pause because every single free agent that we've talked to in the last month has said that they came to Atlanta because one, they really like Arthur Smith, which is really, really a great, great thing, but that that these guys want to come play for Arthur Smith. And two, they've been talking about a lot about how they feel like there are a lot of good pieces in Atlanta. They're like, we're in a lot. There were a few of them, especially, um, I believe it was Lee Smith when we talked to him, the tight end and he made the comment, he was like, you know, a rebuild to me involves a quarterback. And he was like, you have Matt Ryan here. So I didn't want to come to a team that was rebuilding. And so when you hear that, and then when you hear someone like, uh, <laughs> and then like, they draft a quarterback at four. And then, they, <laughs> and then it turns it, like, it just turns everybody off. But no, I, and then you hear like, we were talking to Ron yesterday and he said, he was like, I feel like there are a lot of good pieces here. I came here because I wanted to be here. Granted, he may, also made the comment that he was like, I came I reached out to the Falcons because I was looking, I really wanted to play for Arthur Smith. I, I liked him. He said he wanted to play for Dean Pease because he had heard a lot of good things about him, which I will say this. I still think that's the best hire that uh, of the like league, I put Dean Pease as like the number one hire of the league this off season, but it's stuff like that. And then you have guys saying like, Oh, we really like the fact that there are really good key pieces here. So I think in terms of like what the fan base wants, the fan base is kind of like, we don't have any pieces, burn it all to the ground. Like granted, not everybody's like that, but there are, there is a a section of Twitter that is very much that way. And and it's like these free agents are coming in and saying like, no, we think this is a good team now. So that's really interesting to hear them say that. I really, I just want to see a player one time be like, yeah, the coach is the biggest asshole in the world. but you can't beat the tax rates here or something like that. <laughs> if only, if only we could get someone to be that honest. <laughs> um, so my last question, I guess, for you for free agency is, do you think there's going to be a second wave after the draft for specifically Atlanta? You know, I, I do think there will be kind of an NFL wide second wave, but do you, we think that the Falcons are done with free agency? I don't. I don't think that they're done. I think they are going to wait and get through the draft. And I think you could see, like we we're talking about a second wave where you have guys getting closer and closer to the start of training camp. And it's kind of like, all right, they had no one's no one's biting at my line almost. Yeah. And and the Falcons are the ones that are kind of sitting there waiting for guys to kind of either like lower their price or, you know, just wanting to go play somewhere and knowing, mm-hmm. especially if you're I think if you're a safety, if you're a cornerback, if if you're somebody in the secondary, I think you want to come play for Atlanta because you know that you could probably, you know, compete for a starting spot fairly easily than you could, I think, at some other places. Um, But I I, I do think that you could see a second wave of, and again, it's only going to be one-year deals. These these are not guys that are Mm going to be coming in and signing three or four-year deals. That's just not happening. The Falcons don't have the means to do that. But... I do think you could get some guys in on some one-year deals, some cheap one-year 
field. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think especially some of those veteran guys, you know, it reminds me this year, reminds me a little bit of like NBA free agency where mm -hmm. you are seeing guys kind of say, oh, well, they've already got a good team in place. Let me spend a year there and kind of chase a championship mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'll be the sixth man off the bench instead of going to a crappy team and maybe playing 25 minutes a night. Um, right. And so I think that aligns perfectly with that second wave of free agency is when you start seeing players maybe take a little bit more agency in their free agency for yeah. lack of a better phrase. Um, I like where, that. I think that's good. <laughs> yeah. Where, where it's kind of like, all right, the market's not what I thought it would be. Yeah. So now let me pick and choose a little bit because the money's basically the same mm -hmm. everywhere. Uh, that's where you do see, I think, some of those veterans who are smarter about where they are in their careers and they say, what's important, what's a priority. You know, I, I, I think we saw a lot of that with Tampa Bay last year, frankly, too. Yeah. Um, so hopefully Atlanta's the, uh, the team this off season. Um, but now let's tie the two together. And I want to get your thoughts on how free agency has impacted what the Falcons need to do in the draft, not just at number four, but through the entirety of the event, the event, because like you said, that not only the mid-tier free agency acquisitions, but these day two, day three picks are going to be absolutely important for building out this roster. So um, keeping in mind with like your piece on how free agency impacts the draft, is running back an even bigger priority after Edo Smith's release? Or do you believe that Corderell Patterson kind of negates that. I know he's listed as a running back. I'm still a little skeptical yeah. about that. Um, so how important would a running back be in the draft for you? I, I still put running back fairly high. I still think that it would be good for the Falcons to grab a running back in the second or third round. Um, I'm kind now with CP on the roster, I do kind of lean more third round than I do second round. Cause I know I, I said uh, uh, one time or a couple times, I was like, Travis Etienne is there at number 35. You take Travis Etienne, but I, I still think that someone like a Kenny Gainwell in like the third round would, would be somebody that the Falcons could go after. Um, I think in terms of CP, I think it's going to be really interesting how they use him because I do think he is super interesting player. And I think <laughs> Arthur Smith is probably just sitting there like, Ooh, interesting. How could I use him in different ways? Like, and especially him joining this offense and, and kind of, because I do think that he is joining this offense. I don't think the Falcons just got him as a return man. I do think that he'll no, have yeah. a role to play, um, whether he's a receiver, whether he's a running back. I kind of see him more as just like a gadget player than I do anything else. So you still, I still think that you do need a true running back. And, and I was actually really surprised that Ito Smith, you know, got, got I cut. Was too. Yeah. I, I was really, I thought, I mean, you know, like I, I thought that Ito did really well in 2020. I mean, I, I would, the fact that like he ended up being the like lead back at the end of the year when yeah. you're paying Todd Gurley millions of dollars and you're running out there, Ito Smith, who's like making 75 or $750,000. It's just like, yeah. okay, this is interesting. But I, I mean, it makes sense. And I, I think it does kind of add a little incentive to like, okay, you have Mike Davis and then you have a gadget guy like CP, but like you'd need maybe another, another guy in that mix, especially a young guy. Um, yes. because both of those guys are, um, veterans through and through. Yeah. And I mean, running back is one of the best places to have that cheap rookie deal, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but CP does, he, I could see him kind of being in that Russell Gage 
role a little bit prior yeah. to the 2020 season where, where it was a little bit gadgety. Um, he's kind of like Ty Montgomery, in my opinion, as, as a running back where it's more, he's a receiver playing a running back <laughs> right. role. Um, yes, yes. So what about the offensive line? Cause I, I saw that you noted that as another position where there's some importance in, in adding to the draft. I think that's smart as well, but I, I also don't know if you're drafting a starter in this, right. in this draft. It is a very good offensive line draft. That's just such a tough transition to make going from the college game to the NFL game and, and plug in um, at day one. So where would you look to, to add an offensive lineman? I would probably look third or fourth round. Um, and, and I would probably do it. Uh, yeah, I, 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 cause I agree with you that I don't think you're looking for a starter. I don't mm-hmm. think, I mean, you, the Falcons could go can I still at number four and, and do, and, and just have him come in and just groom him how they want to groom him and have him just be, have a trial by fire in 2021 yeah. in the same way that Caleb McGarry did. So I, I think that, that is definitely on the table. However, I do think that because you have Matt Gono back for another year, Mm -hmm. because you have Josh Andrews back or not back, you have him for a year. I think you could at least like plug and fill where you need to in 2021 and have a guy mature. And that's why I kind of lean more fourth round is like, Mm -hmm. okay, if you get a fourth round guy, he's not going to be a starter. He's not going to go and just like, I mean, but maybe you hit on him and he does turn into that. I don't know. But like more likely than not, he's not going to be your starter. But in when you get into 2022, 2023, and he matures in that second and third year, yeah. then perhaps he does kind of slide into that role seamlessly. And that's I think that's like best case scenario. No, I, I absolutely agree because it, it does look like, I mean, the Falcons have taken such actions in recent years to fix their offensive line. Right it would be weird if that was still a priority because it like Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry have turned into, you know, Chris, I think has a really high ceiling and Caleb is a good, is just a good NFL starter. And he's, he's just kind of what you need. So it it is like such a revolving door. It seems like in the offensive line, even though they've been hitting on, on some of their, their picks. Um, But I agree. I I do think that that's probably a day two, maybe day three um, selection. What about has has Terry been asked about the weirdness of edge rusher in this class? I mean, it's like the the top guys either sat out last year or have some like major question marks. It doesn't seem like there is a clear consensus, like number one true edge rusher, like gotta have him, which sucks for the Falcons this year because they're finally in a spot to maybe take that guy. Um, what what have the Falcons said about the edge rushing class? I'm so glad that you asked this question because it's one that I have just been racking around in my brain for the last probably two and a half months since we've been talking about the draft, because you're absolutely right. I think if this was December and I'm thinking about, okay, what are the Falcons going to do in the draft? I'm thinking edge rusher, like without any pause, any hesitation, they've got to hit on an edge rusher, but now kind of looking at this field and understanding that, that like essentially (laughs) <laughs> this is not a defensive draft. It's just yeah, not, it's not. It, it, it's not at all. And I, 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 there's a part of me that wishes it was because that's, that's what the Falcons have. Like all right. their issues are defensive and they have a lot of issues in terms of like 
just depth defensively and they need to hit on some defensive guys because it's been a while. I mean, AJ Terrell did did really well in his AJ's team. been do, great. Do, yeah. do not get me wrong. AJ's been great. Um, but you're talking about maybe like a, a, a tackle or an edge rusher yeah. and, and they need to, they need to hit on that. And so in terms of what the uh, Falcons are thinking, we're actually getting to talk to Terry and Arthur um, the day before the draft. And that's actually, it's so funny that you say, cause that's actually something that I'm really curious to ask Terry about. Like you have so many areas of need yeah. it, defensively, but this is not a deep defensive draft at all. Like how do you weigh that in your decision-making? So yeah. I will have an answer for you in, in a week, <laughs> promise. Well, good. I'm glad to know that my brain is still uh, in line with, with <laughs> being a Falcons reporter. So, yeah, um, yeah. Same, same, same wavelength. <laughs> there you go. And I think it's, it's even like coupled with the fact that they're changing their defensive scheme more than the right. offensive scheme. I mean, the Falcons aren't there. Arthur Smith is going to play to the strengths already ingrained in that offense. Dean Pease right. is here to revamp the defense and it's going to change schematically the best way to do that is to draft a lot of young guys who do the things that, that you want, but they just kind of can't do that this year, which is right. fascinating. Um, last position safety. Is that still the number one kind of positional concern for this team after Deron Harmon? I'm not as concerned about it now as I was a week ago. Um, okay. and talking about like how outdated things are even a week later. Um, because just from looking at Deron's tape, looking at kind of what he did with Detroit, um, kind of knowing that he's one of those guys that can go out and make plays when you really, really need to make plays. And that's something the Falcons need. They need a guy who's like in the heat of the moment going to come up with the play. I think when we were talking to Raheem Morris last year, he, he even made that comment a couple times that like, we need a guy to just go and make the play. Yeah. And, and so I think Duran is kind of that guy. And I think it takes some of the pressure off like drafting a safety high because there were some times that I was thinking like, Oh, they need to draft a safety in the second, third round. Yeah. But now I don't feel as, uh, I, I strongly about that. I do think they do need to draft a safety. Like they absolutely do. <laughs> there, there's still not a lot of people in that like position group. Right. But I don't put it as high as probably what I did even a week ago. Okay. Yeah. And that, and that makes sense. And that's kind of where I'm at as well. It's kind of a numbers game purely now for yeah. them just at that position. And and it's such an important position, especially on special teams and just like mm -hmm. really filling out the roster with cornerbacks, receivers, safeties, tight ends. Like the, right. those are kind of your core special teams, uh, archetypes. Um, all right. Last thing before I let you go, Trevor Lawrence goes one, Zach Wilson goes two, Mac Jones goes three. Falcons are on the clock. What are you, Tori, the GM, doing? Oh, I, okay. So I feel like my like bias as a reporter is showing when I say this because <laughs> I love, I, I'm a storyteller. That is like what I do. It's what I get paid to do. And this storyline of Justin Fields coming back to <laughs> the state of Georgia to me is the best story that I could get out of this draft. And so I just don't, see how you can pass up the opportunity to draft Justin Fields if he falls to number four. That's me personally. Is that what the Falcons are going to do? Have no idea. And, and I would not, I, I've said this so, a, a, a couple of times, but I really don't think that we're going to know what the Falcons are planning on doing until literally the 49ers make the pick at number three. Yeah. And, and I, I do think that they have their guy that they want and then they have contingencies built in after that. 
it, which is what you do in the draft. Yes. But I think it's even more important with that number four pick to think of, okay, if Justin Fields is on the board, you take Justin Fields. I do, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm not the one that's paid the big money to make the decision. That's what I would do. Okay. So if Adam Schefter is tweeting at 6.30 on night one of the draft, really hearing some interest from the Falcons for Justin Fields, then then you'll... All right. That's me. That's me. I called it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm there. I'm there with you. I, I do think Justin Fields would be my pick and something that I've thought about recently. Um, Arthur Blank has had kind of, he had the Michael Vick run and then he had the Matt Ryan run. And the one year in between was a very different story for the organization. I think the man understands the importance of having a quarterback. Yes. So that, I've just been that doesn't mean that this is the year that they do that, but I, I do think that he is well aware of if you don't have a quarterback, you don't really have anything um, mm -hmm. as far as title hopes. So, um, well, that's it, Tori. Thank you so much. Do you have anything that, that you want to plug? Everybody can find your stuff at the athletic. It's amazing. Go read it. Uh, subscribe. Yeah. yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Uh, definitely subscribe to the athletic. Um, we have so much coming for draft coverage, like so much. I'm really <laughs> nervous, excited. Cause you know, this is my first draft coverage on the NFL side. I've covered yeah. draft for years on the college football side, but this is so different. It's a different beast, a different animal. And I, I, I really do think that it's really exciting to kind of be following the Falcons right now because there are mm -hmm. so many different ways that they could go. But definitely look me up on the athletics page and the app. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Tori underscore McElhaney. And yeah, I'll be the one tweeting about the Falcons for the next, you know, nonstop for the next two and a half, three weeks. <laughs> there you go. And we'll all be watching. Um, but thank you so much, Tori. This has been really fun. Uh, love picking your brain about the draft. Thank you so much for having me on anytime. I'm happy to pop on. All right, everybody, that'll do it for this week's episode of believe in Falcons. If you like the show, um, the hope is, you know, I'm going to try to do one once a week, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, probably coming out, going to continue to try to have some guests on and talk about everything with the Falcons. Again, maybe try to get creative. Do I did I thought about the idea of doing a an all time Falcons draft? Um, ran out of time before the draft. Maybe I'll I'll still do it when we hit kind of the dog days of summer and there's not a ton of content out there. But I'll try to do more creative game like uh, draft like situations uh, to keep things interesting. But yeah, once a week coming at you. If you like this show, we're gonna do a lot more stuff like we did today. But hit that like and subscribe button. Leave us a comment. Uh, let me know what I can work on, what, who you would like for me to talk to, see if I can reach out and, and get some people in here. But yeah, this is, it's real. We're doing it. Um, I hope you enjoyed this lesson and take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.